At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. This winter, we're taking a fresh look at a familiar story through our series, Jonah, at odds with God. Tune in now as we face the same choice Jonah did, perceive God's mission or to resent it. We're in Jonah chapter 2 this morning. We're going to keep moving the story forward uh, and really entering Act 2 of Jonah's story. And so if you have your Bible, let me encourage you to open it up to Jonah chapter 2. Actually, I'm going to take you to chapter 1 verse 17 uh, to start this morning. Um, but if you have your Bible, open it up to Jonah 1.17 and then I want to read chapter 2 for us uh, today. And we'll, uh, we'll let God's word speak uh, clearly over us uh, this morning. And so... Uh, Open your Bible, Jonah 1, 17. If you'd stand with me, let me read God's word for us. We'll pray. Scripture says, The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my name. For you cast me into the deep and into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains... I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. You brought my life up out of the pit, O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but with the voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, to thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for even in the unusual nature of this story and in this prayer, you show us your love. You show us your work. And so, Father, this morning we pray that we might receive, that we might hear, that we might be humble today. And, and what your word teaches us would be taken and uh, accepted and believed in our lives and, and applied. Uh, Father, that as we even see at times your severe mercy, that we would be humble and repentant. And Lord, that we would know your love and grace. So now speak to us through your word and help us, we pray. We thank you. Give us a clear vision of Jesus and what he has done for us. We ask this in his name, uh, by your spirit. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, why is discipline necessary for us in life today? 
I, I think that there's a point in which I hoped that maybe I would grow out of the stage of, of needing to be disciplined, that finally I would grow up enough that the discipline wouldn't be a part of my life or needed anymore. But, but I still wonder from time to time, why is discipline there? Why do we need correction? Why do we need, uh, why do we need change? Why do we need to be instructed differently? Uh, you know, certainly as a kid, our parents would discipline us. They would, they would correct us in various forms and ways. But then as we get older, we find that we still have points of needing discipline. We get written up at work. We get a speeding ticket, and the, the law enforcement corrects us when we break the traffic, uh, traffic laws. Our HOA ins, uh, assesses a fine on us when we don't mow our lawns. I mean, there's all sorts of, of discipline that still come around us today. And, and many times, I think we wonder, or we should at least, ask ourselves, why? Why is this discipline and why is this correction here? For many people to, in uh, modern society and modern culture today, when we think about God and, and God exercising or employing discipline on our lives, we, we want to take a step back. Our, our vision of God is that, that God is, is one who is only to be seen in light of his love, God is gracious and merciful and compassionate and kind and loving and gentle. And, and he would never ever, at least we would think, he would never ever bring discipline or correction. In fact, even suggest that God would use circumstances, use situations, use hard things in our lives to correct us and to shape us. Even that seems foreign to many minds today. All that God does, some would say, is affirm. All that God does is is be kind and nice today. Yet, yet any God that would, or any suggestion that God would discipline seems utterly foreign. Yet the scripture doesn't put it that way. The scriptures is, are clear. God is depicted as a loving father who disciplines or corrects his children. He even brings, a term I'll use this morning frequently, severe mercy upon us. Let me define it this way. God will, his severe mercy is that God will place us or permit us because of our own sin to be in painful or even difficult circumstances for a purpose. That God will, will place us or permit us because of our own sin to be in painful or even difficult circumstances for a very specific purpose. Act 2 of Jonah, Jonah chapter 2 here this morning, shows us that story of God's severe mercy. We, we connect the story here with Jonah at a moment where God's, God's work in his life is not finished. In fact, God's work in Jonah's life seems to reach its pinnacle climax. Jonah is still at, God, at odds with God. He's still fighting the war against God, and yet he's about to learn that God never loses. In, in fact, Jonah's going to learn today, and hopefully we will as well, that God's severe mercy is terribly helpful. That God's severe mercy, even though we may push against it, even though we may not want to see it in our lives, even, may, even though we may refuse to think that we need it in our lives, God's severe mercy for us is terribly helpful. God is, and his correction are necessary. They're good, and they're needed in our lives today. You might ask the question, okay, why is that? Why is God's correction and discipline necessary for us? Why does, God, why does God punish his children? Why does he discipline us uh, in our lives? And I want to show us from this act, the second act of Jonah, why God does that. Why is his discipline necessary 
for us. And I want to bring out three things. Uh, so let's dive in, okay? No pun intended there. Yes, actually, the pun isn't very much intended. I, love, I wish I could just lay out all the fish jokes here with you guys this week, but I won't flounder around anymore. Let's get right to it. Uh, for, <laughs> first of all here, God employs a severe mercy to pursue us. Let's go right to the story. The story actually starts in verse 17. Act 2 here starts in verse 17 of chapter 1. In the Hebrew Bible, this is actually the beginning of chapter 2. So it's appropriate that we would start here. Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. Now, Jonah has been running from God. We remember the story. If you haven't been here for the last few weeks, that's okay. I'll recap it for you real quickly. Jonah, God has come to Jonah and said, Jonah, go to Nineveh. Go to this place that's really your enemy's house. They hate you. You hate them. Go to Nineveh and there preach against this great city. And Jonah was like, absolutely not. I would rather die than do that, God. In fact, I'm gonna go in the exact opposite direction of where you're sending me. I'm gonna flee to Tarshish. And so Jonah goes down to Joppa, gets a boat, finds a boat that's headed to Tarshish, far east away from Nineveh as he can get, gets on that boat and flees. He is running from God. And God can't be run away from. I mean, God's going to get his guy. And so the Lord, the scripture says, sends a great storm on this boat in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea upon Jonah and those sailors there. Well, the sailors are besides themselves. They have no understanding or no reason to understand what is going on, why this great storm is there. And so they start calling out to all their gods. They're trying to figure out what the issue is. And, and Jonah's there asleep in the center of the boat. He's just having the greatest power nap of his life. And, and everyone's freaking out. Finally, the captain comes down to the center of the hold, finds Jonah and shakes him awake and is like, what are you doing? Pray to your God. Call out to him. Jonah is like, nope. No, God and I aren't on speaking terms anymore. He's just doing his thing. I'm doing my thing. No, thank you very much. And, and yet, the storm persists. Finally, the, the sailors decide, we're going to just reach up to the heavens. We're going to throw it all out to fate, and we're going to see what the fates decide and, and tell us who, who is it wrong here. So they cast lots. The lot comes to Jonah, and then they, then they throw down the Inquisition. Like, who are you, Jonah? What are you doing here? Why are you running? Like, tell us everything. And Jonah confesses. He opens up and he says, I'm running from God. That's basically what I'm doing. The God who made the seas, yeah, I'm running from him. I'm on my own out here. And they're like, what in the world? Call out to your God, repent. Jonah's like, no. Like, so what should we do to, to, to end this storm? Our lives are in jeopardy here. Jonah, still defiant, still persistent in his, in his rebellion against God, says, throw me overboard. I'd rather die than do what God says. Cannot believe his, his rebellion and his hard heart. The sailors try all the more to get the ship back to dry land, but it is, a, it is a losing game. So they come to the point where they cry out to God for mercy and grace, and they say, Lord, let, let the, this man's blood not be on our hands, and they pitch him overboard. And that's where we concluded the story last week. Jonah's thrown into the ocean, the storm stops, and the sailors worship the Lord God. But what about Jonah? Does he just fall down to the bottom of the ocean and die? Is that the end of the tale for our man Jonah and his rebellion against the Lord? Well, this is where verse 17 connects us here. The Lord, God's not done with Jonah. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. There's God. In his, in his great power and majesty and in his authority, in his sovereign direction over all things, over all nature, there is God pursuing Jonah. 
He's not just going to let Jonah go down to the grave. He is adamant in his love for Jonah that Jonah would be reconciled to him. God is in relentless pursuit of him. God won't give up on Jonah, no matter what lengths Jonah will go to or, or how far Jonah will try to attempt to escape. God does not and will not relent in accomplishing his purposes through Jonah. He loves Jonah. And so God, the term here in Hebrew, he appoints. That's, that is to say God puts his hand on and directs sovereignly with his power, with his authority. He rules over nature in every way. He, he uses his appointed means in every instance. God is able to control all nature as he desires. He appoints this great fish. And if you want to believe that's a whale, that's fine. If you don't want to do the whale tail and you just want to go for a big fish, choose whatever big fish you'd like. The big fish shows up, swallows Jonah whole, and there's Jonah in the middle, in the belly, three days and three nights. He's there. I love how God is just displaying his grace and love towards Jonah. God does whatever he pleases. And, and rebellious human beings, people who are defiant of heart, even God is going to work to, to get them to him. God employs this great fish to engulf and swallow up Jonah. And Jonah finds himself in the very severe mercy of God in that moment. Now, here's why I call this severe mercy. First of all, it's mercy for Jonah. It's mercy because Jonah's life was spared. He was kept from death and drowning. He didn't drop down to the bottom of the ocean and just life over. God shows his mercy in sending a big fish, swallow him up, preserve his life. But it's also severe. Think about the extreme circumstances of how Jonah was kept alive. He's in the guts, in the belly of a great fish, eaten up by a great fish. Now, you, you can go online and you can search around for stories of, of human beings swallowed by fish, and, it's, and there, there's a few that have happened. It's not a beautiful thing. Not everybody's lining up to have this happen. And yet here's God sending this great fish to swallow up Jonah, to preserve his life, and yet he's in the midst of a great beast in the middle of the ocean, who knows where. Scripture says he was there three days and three nights in the belly of the whale. I like how Tim Keller puts it. He says, this great fish is a perfect example of a severe mercy. Obviously, the fish saved Jonah's life by swallowing him. On the other hand, he was still in a watery prison. He was still sinking to the bottom of the world to, as he says it a little bit later in this passage, to the roots of the mountains, far from help and hope. He was still alive, but for how long? Like, can you imagine being Jonah in that? Like you think, okay, I'm finally getting away from God because I'm going to drown, and then you're still alive in a great fish. <laughs> the tension of that would just be remarkable. Here's God displaying his love and mercy and relentless pursuit of Jonah again and again and again and again. He's not going to give him up. Parents among us can, can relate sometimes, hopefully, to the, to the motivations by which we discipline our children. In my home, one of the most severe forms of discipline that we would enact, and this is if you'd ask our children, I think, would be to take away their screen time. By their reactions, that is the worst thing <laughs> that we can do. Nothing is more terrifying to my kids than having to look into the long, dark abyss of no digital content for a few hours or a day. Yet the removal of their screens is a way to help them focus. It's a, help, a way to help them be present in the midst of the world that they're in and that they're ignoring at the moment and to a life embodied right in front of them. 
To them, the discipline seems severe. And yet, by our means, it's a mercy to help love them and form them as, as human beings and adults. Jonah's rebellion here from the, Lord, uh, from the Lord doesn't leave him outside of God's mercy, but instead, it's God's pursuit of Jonah that is his mercy. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. He directs our way by telling us that we should not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor should we be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. If you're being disciplined by God, he is treating you like his children, like his sons. God's discipline on us is his mercy and love to help us be more like Christ, to help us walk in his ways, to help us grow and flourish in this world, especially when we are in our sin and in our rebellion. God's not going to let Jonah just do whatever he wants. He's going to chase down Jonah because he wants Jonah's heart. He cares as much for Nineveh as he does for Jonah. And he cares as much for Jonah as he does for Nineveh. We should recognize God's patient and loving pursuit of our own lives, of ourselves, when we're in circumstances of discipline. When things go wrong for us or bad, especially because of our sin, especially because we continue to push back against God in his ways and rebel against him and things break apart and things don't go well, we should see that the pain in our lives is God pursuing us in love to bring us back to him. He's, he's disciplining us and treating us as sons. He's, he's correcting us to bring us right back to him. I think this is one of the most important functions of the local church. It's that of, of rightful church discipline. Church discipline today has become very unpopular, and, and I understand it. It's often been abused by those who can be controlling and domineering. But, but rightly employed, biblically employed, church discipline is a means of mercy, even though it may be a severe mercy in the life of a believer. Let me explain what this is. Scripture is clear that someone who's living in sin, who's living a life of sin that is dangerous and unrepentant, should, should be corrected. And, and the Scripture says in Galatians 6.1 that those who are spiritual should restore someone with a spirit of gentleness. The term there, restore, means to set right, to set back in place what is wrong. So those who are spiritual should go and restore or correct with the spirit of gentleness those who are unrepentant and, and those who are living in sin. So that could be a friend in church or someone maybe in your life group that you know who's close to you and you see their sin and, they, and you go and you, you gently seek to correct them. You gently seek to encourage and exhort them to repentance and to walking in Christ. That's the first phase of church discipline. I think that that kind of discipline, if you will, should be happening frequently among us, not painfully, but gently, because we're all in sin. We all need the encouragement and the strength of one another to help us grow in Christ. So it's a loving thing when a brother or sister comes to you and says, friend, I, I, I'm noticing this in your heart and in your life, and I just want to encourage you. Do you see it? I love you. Have you, have you spent time with the Lord about that? I, I want to help you grow. Like, let's, let's correct this together. That's a loving and good, merciful thing, even though it may feel severe. The scripture then says if that person won't hear it, then that if the person who's rebellious and, and continues to be defiant won't hear it, then the person who's seeking to restore should take two or three witnesses, two or three other friends in the church who've seen these things, who witness to that, and they go to, to encourage and to challenge and to intervene and gently seek to restore them, to call them to repentance. 
Again, it's a higher level, but yet it's moving forward in this severe mercy of saying, we love you, we want to see you grow. If the person still won't listen, then the scripture says, if they won't listen and repent, then that should go to the elders of the church. And the church elders should get involved to seek, to exhort, and to warn, and encourage, and correct that person. Because their soul is at stake. Their heart is there. It's an act of mercy. And yet, those conversations are never easy. They're always hard. We'll be honest together. It is difficult to hear from a friend or a a life group leader or someone you're in community with or even leadership. You need to grow. There's there's sin in your life that we see that we want to call you to change. But the goal in all of this every time is love. God's faithful pursuit of us, because he cares, causes us to move together as a church family and grow. So so we see James 5, where James says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings them back, let them know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save a soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. It's a severe mercy that God employs to pursue us. If you're under a trial of of severe mercy right now, if if you feel the discipline of the Lord, don't count it as his rejection of you. See it as his loving pursuit of you to correct you, to make you more like Christ. His severe mercy is employed to pursue us, to bring us back. But not only that, God, God employs his severe mercy, secondly, to awaken us. Many times we are so defiant that we are blind. That we are like Jonah, dead asleep. And we don't even see our sin. And God employs a severe mercy to awaken us to our problem, to awaken us to our rebellion. This next part of the story in chapter 2 here is where we see Jonah's prayer. Jonah lifts up his voice finally to the Lord. Uh, Now, note here in chapter 1, verse 17, that Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. He's there 72 hours. No word from him. I think if I was eaten by a fish after trying to, to, to escape God, I would be crying out to him right away. I would hope that would be the case. Jonah, no. He is still defiant in his sin. He lets 72 hours go by before he speaks a word. And then it finally clicks. Then, verse 1, then Jonah prayed to the Lord from the belly of the fish. After being there for three days and three nights, I kind of think of Boba Fett in the great Sarlacc, you know, the toxin acids as a Star Wars reference for those of you who are unfamiliar there's Jonah in the middle of this fish acid around him he doesn't know what to do and finally he opens his mouth and prays he pulls lines from the Psalms here his prayer has this structure first of all he acknowledges his condition secondly he recognizes God's discipline and third he expresses his hope He expresses his hope to God. So first of all, he he acknowledges his condition. He sees his condition as death. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me, out of the belly of Sheol. So he's like, I'm not just in a big fish. I'm in the very pit of death itself, he feels. He says, out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and God heard my voice. God pursues us in his severe mercy. We are never so far from him that we can't pray and cry out to him, and he hears us. Jonah cries out to God, and he says, you heard my voice. He recognizes his great plight. Verse 5, he says, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. He said, I've got seaweed around my head like a turban. 
He says, I went down to the roots of the very mountains, down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Like, I thought this was it. This is, this is where I was going to death itself. His condition. To the bottom. That's where he is. And yet, he acknowledges the discipline from the Lord in verse 3. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and your floods surround me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Jonah is adamantly aware here that this is God's severe mercy towards him, that God is disciplining him. He, he sees the situation he's in and goes, oh, right. God's, God's working to pursue me. God's seeking to correct me. God, you've done this. You've cast me in. Your waves and billows are over me. And then he expresses his hope. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. I've been driven away, he says. I'm in the depths by the mountains, I'm far away, and yet God's not done with me. He's not done with me. Yet again shall I look upon your holy temple. Here's the beginning of Jonah coming to his senses. He hopes to stand in the presence of his Lord and God one day again. The ray of light is there. One New Testament scholar, Peter Craigie, he puts it this way. He says, the turning point of Jonah's life comes at the very depths of his pursuit of disobedience. Since Jonah had first said no to the divine call, he had gone down to Joppa, down into a ship, down into the hold, and at last down into the watery depths. A final descent into the ocean depths would have been his last. But not until he was all the way down, finally stripped of his own buoyant sense of self-sufficiency, was deliverance possible. Sometimes in our absence of obedience, we will be taken down to the very depths of the experience of disaster before a change is possible and we could set off again in a new path through life. If we're asking the question, why does God employ discipline and severe mercy? One of the answers is to awaken us to our condition and to our need. Sometimes God permits us to get to the very bottom of the barrel so that we'll wake up. He'll let us hit rock bottom in life so that we will come to our senses and see our need and cry out like Jonah does. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, out of my, ang- uh, out of my anxiety, out of my, my frustration, out of my rebellion, and God heard me. He heard me. God appoints the circumstances of our lives to awaken us to our need. You may look at your life and and wonder why your circumstances are going from poor to bad, even to worse. And, and, And if that's your case, I would hope this morning that you would be asking yourself the question, what is God saying to me in all of this? What is he trying to to awaken me to right now in my life? Where do you need to be awakened to the Lord? Where do you need to repent and return to him? Friend, are you going to be so defiant? I'm afraid that there are some among us that are seeking to be so defiant from the Lord that that God's going to need to bring you to rock bottom to get you to wake up. The invitation and the the message of Jonah's life here is that God is not out of reach. If you'd soften your heart and humble your heart and cry out for his mercy and grace, he will show it. God's act of severe mercy here to Jonah is a way to awaken him. He does love us, and he pursues us with his severe mercy. So I would ask you this morning, are you awake to God's work in your life? 
Are you aware of what he's doing? Jesus told his church in Laodicea in Revelation 3, 19, those who I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. God's severe mercy isn't a means to destroy you. It's a means to open your eyes to your rebellion and defiance and to return back to him. The Lord's severe mercy is that in love he pursues us when we run and his grace awakens us to our condition and to our need, even through hard, terrible, difficult circumstances. He employs severe mercy in his pursuit of us. He employs severe mercy to awaken us. And thirdly, God employs severe mercy to save us. God goes one step farther in his love and pursuit of Jonah. Notice with me the second part of verse 6. This is where we notice a turn from Jonah in his posture and his heart. While he's at the bottom, at the very roots of the mountain, as he puts it, he sees the mercy and the hand of God. Jonah says, yet you brought me, you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. Jonah had been going down, 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 and now he gets it. He's awakened to his condition and his need, and he says, yet you brought up my life from the pit. You rescued me, O oh God. He, he describes it this way in verse 7. He says, while my life was fainting away, Jonah may have been on his very last breaths. That's how defiant he was. While his life was escaping away, he says, I remembered the Lord. He remembered the Lord. As he was taking these last breaths, he remembered who God is, and he prayed. He says, my prayer came to you in your holy temple. He thinks about who God is, and it, and it finally dawns on him, the nature and the character and the goodness of God. And, and so he, he stands now as an instructor for us in verse 8. He kind of turns to us as we listen, and, and he gives this instruction. He says, those who pay regard to vain idols, they forsake their hope in, of steadfast love. The 1984 edition of the NIV translates it this way. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Jonah points out who God is by his steadfast love. The Hebrew term has said, God's faithful, covenantal, never-ending, never-giving-up, never-failing, forever love. Jonah wakes up to it. So I cried out to that God, the Lord, the Lord, merciful, gracious, Jonah sees God hasn't changed. He is the God that is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and mercy. As God proclaimed himself throughout the scriptures, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That's who God is. Jonah sees that now. He remembers that. And he said, if you're going to keep worshiping and loving and giving yourselves to vain, foolish idols, you're forfeiting the mercy and the grace of God. You're abandoning and running in defiant rejection of who God is and his gracious love and compassion. Don't give up the grace that could be yours. And he says, I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Jonah nails it right on the end. Salvation belongs to the Lord. God employs a severe mercy to save us. The hardest of our circumstances, when we're most defiant and most rebellious, God hasn't left us alone, but he disciplines us to save us. 
Jonah sees the grace and steadfast of God and he turns and repents. He says, okay, I will go and do what I've been called to do. I will sacrifice with thanksgiving because salvation belongs to God. Here's what God did as Jonah repented, verse 10. The Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. That one's just for the kids. Think about this big fish just upchucking Jonah out on the beach there and you have it for you. God in his sovereign power, once again, at work and control over all nature, he speaks, the fish barfs, and there's Jonah now ready to go and do what God has said. I love the story of John Newton as it just kind of illustrates this reality of God's severe mercy to save. John Newton's conversion happened in the late 18th century. He was an English slave trader and a notoriously wicked man. I'll let Bunyan describe himself. He says, I was not content with running the Broadway myself. I was indefatigable in enticing others. And had my influence been equal to my wishes, I would have carried all the human race with me. He says, a common drunkard is a petty sinner to what I was. I had the ambition of a Caesar or an Alexander the Great, and I wanted to rank in wickedness among the foremost of the human race. And yet as a slave trader in March of 1748, a massive storm hit the ship he was in and nearly shipwrecked the boat and killed every soul on board. Yet God was pursuing, pursuing Newton even severely. At the worst point of the storm, when everyone was exhausted and had no hope left, Newton acknowledged that apart from God's mercy, they would not be, a, they would not be saved. It took a full month later for the ship to come to land in Ireland, and Newton reflected on it this way. He said, about this time, I began to know that there is a God who hears and answers prayer. And Newton was converted to Christianity, rescued by God, by God's amazing grace, and he went on to dedicate himself to the Lord completely. He became a pastor, and he wrote the most famous hymn in the English language, Amazing Grace. God's severe mercy tracked him down in love. His severe mercy brought him to awakening, and severe mercy saved him. Friends, don't dismiss or grow cold to God's severe mercy even in your own life. His discipline is intended for our salvation. He is treating us like, son, like sons. In fact, Psalm 95 warns us from hardening our hearts when we hear the voice of God. Today, if you hear your, his voice, don't harden your heart as in the days of testing in the wilderness when your fathers put me to test and put me to the proof though they had seen my work. Don't harden your heart. Salvation alone belongs to God and he gifts it to all those who know their need and come to him in repentance and faith. God's severe mercy, it stings, it chastises us, but it brings us to a place where we see our need for Christ and for his salvation. The ultimate display of God's severe mercy was on the cross where he poured out his wrath against, his, against sin on his son for us. Jesus took the severe part of God's work, even though he had committed no sin. And he, he extends to us nothing but the mercy of God for us. So let's, let's return to the Lord. Are, are you running from God? Are you defiant against him? Is God employing his severe mercy even in your life today? He's doing it because he loves you. He wants you to awaken to the sun 
to the Savior who's come and lived for you and died for you and was raised to life again for you so that you would not have to taste the ultimate wrath of God, the final wrath of God on the last day. He's chasing you down in his love. So brothers and sisters, friends, let's, let's humble ourselves in repentance. Let's be awakened to his love and salvation. Let's return to the Lord because he is good and he loves us. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org forward slash connect to introduce yourself to us today.